Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we start our weekly Star Trek Discovery Reaction episodes with the first two episodes of Season 3, That Hope Is You and Far From Home. And I apologize for missing last week, but uh, it was entirely my fault. I'm, I've just moved house, and that before that I had to paint the house that I was moving into, and I really don't recommend doing a big DIY job at the same time as packing up a house. It's really hard! I, I mean, just thinking, just hearing about it sounds really <laughs> rough to me. So I, I don't, I have, I have no interest in any of that. <laughs> Strongly recommend not moving house in the middle of a, of a pandemic if you can avoid it. Whew, yeah. Because, you know, you're moving and you're packing and you're always running out of things. So you're like, okay, we'll just pop down to the hardware store or the, the office supply store where we can get boxes. No. No. Everything is click and collect, so you need to give them two days to get your order ready. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Challenging. That's rough. Oh, yeah. Fortunately, both yeah. the move and the lockdown seem to be coming to an end, so I can concentrate on the really important things, like how much I love Grudge Cat. <laughs> the queen! She is so beautiful. People are like, she can't possibly be a real cat. And I'm like, have you met a cat? I mean, she's de- the, 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 the actress, I guess, <laughs> is, is a real cat. Yeah. But I'm not convinced the character is a real cat. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I kind of feel like after the last couple of seasons, and particularly season one with the twists and turns and the surprise reveals, like season three and the cat is not really a cat almost seems to be going into self-parody. But maybe I like that. I mean, I as as someone who is on record for saying that the surprise Klingon baby was my favorite episode, last <laughs> year, like that everyone else hated, I think I am definitely <laughs> the audience for that. Mm. Um, but I also, I, I it, it's funny for you to think for you to to uh, trust really any showrunners, but <laughs> that uh, that they're not going to go into self parody in season three yeah i don't know what i was thinking there (laughs) just just saying i feel like that's how television works now sadly yes but i am really happy with how this season has opened and i do wish that we had recorded last week so that we could discuss that hope is you in depth because it was such a good episode and such a wonderful michael episode and Mm. now of course my head is full of the newer adventures of far from home and there are also just so many more people yeah yeah we have so much more to discuss whereas so many whereas that hope is you is sort of a a very self-contained intimate story about two people and a cat Mm. and a worm on the run from (laughs) shenanigans (laughs) two people and a cat and a worm well i don't know how else you'd describe it i mean i know there are a lot of like goons and whatever but A a family can be a family can be, yes. Uh, so your first note here is that we need to talk about book, and then you have dot points, grudge, Jedi, Disney princess. <laughs> I think that says it all, right? 
it really does seem self-explanatory to a degree, but maybe we could go into detail. Well, Book is our is our uh, only regular who is new, who is a, yeah. a new character to this season, and so that's why I thought it was important to give our you know first impressions of him and what mm. we think about the idea of him and what you know how he's come across so far so that's why i wanted to jump in with book and uh but so i love i love that he has this connection with with creatures and that he's you know he really wants nothing to do with michael from mm. the beginning you know it's she's just a problem that like people are problems and he really only wants to deal with his creatures. Yes. <laughs> and you know, that plays out pretty much in the episode where everyone that the two of them encounter that's not like on, on the secret planet, like everybody else, everybody on the planet that they're crashed on are, are trying to exploit them. And yeah. steal from them. And, he is he and, is also going to exploit and steal from Michael. He feels a little bit bad about it, but he definitely deserved to be punched in the face three or four times. I think I mean he was on and this is and this is why he's definitely a Jedi. I know that like he has Jedi powers and like that makes him a Jedi. But the fact that he is willing to exploit Michael for the greater good is super mm. Jedi. Super deeper Jedi. Yeah. Say. And also, like, not wanting to get involved in her drama at all. Also, extremely Jedi. And getting involved anyway. The most yes. Jedi. <laughs> the, the problematic ones. <laughs> it's silly, of course, to say, oh, he's, he's a Jedi. Oh, he, uh, you know, oh, the bazaar that they go to reminds me of like Blade Runner or Fifth mm. Element or, you know, there's like, I can compare this episode to 20 other science fiction properties. <laughs> and I love that because I love playing, you know, trying to make those connections. And it's not a complaint in any mm. way or a critique for me, but I do think that like, I was terrified of going and finding all of the people who were using that as a critique. Yeah. I was convinced they were going to be there. I have seen a lot just... of people complaining that the whole market uh, exchange setting is not very Star Trek. Because Star Trek <laughs> is clean and organized and a bit sterile. But it's like, you look at the real world and... You know, on the one hand, you've got Singapore, which is a very beautiful, clean, safe place. And then right across a narrow body of water, you have Malaysia, which is mm -hmm. a wonderful place. But also it, it's chaotic and messy. And, you know, these are stereotypes. I think Singaporeans uh, and Malaysians I mean, have a lot to say about it. But Feel free to use the United States <laughs> and say, you know, there's a difference between Iowa and New York City and Malibu. Like, yeah. And yeah. yet they're all allegedly part of the same country. Even even in the suburb I've just moved out of, you know, on one block you have a Kmart and on another block you have a big Vietnamese fresh food market. Right. So it's it's ridiculous. 
I'll just put it out there. It's absurd to think that yeah. everything in Star Trek is going to be the same. Yeah, it also suggests that maybe people haven't thought enough about Star Trek V, but we, we, we know that, that <laughs> you know. That only we care about Star Trek V. <laughs> I just enjoy how the galaxy has turned into Nimbus 3. <laughs> but, I mean, remember that I have been like for years pitching the Nimbus 3 <laughs> Star Trek series and it's like it's like they 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 want they're giving it to me they're they're saying oh yeah that's a good idea space pirates western in Star Trek good plan yeah well it is a good plan I'm super excited. and i think it after last season i really don't want to go in feeling like discovery is catering to me but having the season open with an episode with two with no white people in major roles it felt like a statement of intent that they were done pandering to that side of fandom you know the ugly side of fandom right and Mm. also it was such a new location just like we are going we're going away from all of that and we're Mm. doing something new and different and interesting so yeah yeah it it was fabulous and i i just seeing pike in the flashbacks the previously (laughs) for this week i was just like oh oh it's you And, and the series just feels so much lighter and freer without him and closer to the vibe it had in season one and i'm just i really hope that they keep this up me too. I I guess I would say that my okay. So I, because let's uh, do we want? Bleh, I'm gonna stop mm-hmm. talking. I have something to say about the end. So I'm gonna wait. <laughs> I'm gonna wait on that. Okay, the end um, of see episode one or episode yeah, two? Yeah, but the end of episode one. Okay. Uh... Um. I never explained why Book is a a Disney princess. Oh, yes, we've gotten off course. (laughs) Please. Sorry. Um, So it was actually, I forget who, but in our uh, Discord, our Cornwell Discord, someone brought up that that he was clearly a Disney princess because Mm. he can talk to animals and he is, is surrounded by nature and he's has all of these secret powers. And so it's like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. 100%. And then my brother texted me that, you know, he was like, he was a little too good to be true. But then I realized that if you're going to have a relationship with Michael Burnham, you sort of have to have someone who's too good to be true because she's too good to be true. And so, like, this is how he described him, and I just love it. I suppose you have to be a charming, snarky, kind-to-animals rogue with magic powers. <laughs> well, we, we know from her relationship with Ash that Michael is very drawn to people who are kind. And when she sees Book's capacity for kindness, that's when she starts to soften towards him. And, you know, I think I think that's a good trait in her. And I think... A love interest needs to be as interesting and complicated as the character they're created for. And I like books so far. I feel like Michael and Ash spent season two constantly on the precipice of ending their relationship. And they never quite got to that step because, you know, stuff happened. But it was very much over. And, And 
she's maybe not ready to move on yet, but she's about to spend a whole year with Justin. Yeah. 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 And, you know, not, not to, to go back to Star Wars, but like, let's, let's be honest. I always go back to Star Wars. Yes. Um, when, when the episode started, I was watching, I, I went to the virtual premiere, which was great, by the way. CBS really knows so how to jealous. throw a party, even when it's virtual. And at first, like for the first like half of the episode, you know, Book is sort of, he's playing up the part of, of one type of guy. Yeah. You know, who is the career and who is like a smuggler and is hard and doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody and like has all his shields up. And... I was like, oh, he's kind of like Han Solo. I get it. Cool. And hmm. then he like started healing people and praying and communing with nature and being friends to animals and like saving endangered species. <laughs> and I was like, oh, 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 so he's also Luke Skywalker. <laughs> cool. I get it. Let's go. And he's kind of like also Leia because she's the one who like is a fighter for justice. So it's just like, oh, so you're the entire Star Wars original trilogy. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like, I like that he is a guy who can handle himself and he has adventures. And I'm sure that a lot of the time he is a legitimate courier. But if he sees an opportunity to rehome an endangered species and save it from being eaten, then yeah. Or help out the lost, the, the lost time traveler. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got to say I have a bad feeling about the state of the Gormaganda population at this time. But, you know. I mean, yeah, it's pretty yeah. sad. The, the whole, the whole like, setup is sort of like, the future is bleak. <laughs> but, but, you know, you uh, know that's we... a, it's a fun place to start. Yeah, and we have always interrogated the alleged utopia of the Federation. And right. it's kind of cool to see them just take the brakes off and go, no, this, this world was once something approaching a utopia and now it's a mess. Mm -hmm. But it's not completely without hope. And I think right. that, is, that is good. So let's talk That's about the need. ending. All right. So this guy is the huge breakout star. <laughs> uh, the bureaucrat who was basically born into a starfleet position that mm. no you know that no longer exists he he was precious you know at the beginning you're sort of like who who are you and what's going on but he reminded me of the guy in wally and i love the captain in wally <laughs> like i have huge you know that that's wally is one of my favorite movies uh my daughter says that not counting Star Wars, Wally is my favorite movie. Yeah, I can and, see that. And so, like, I just immediately had that, like, oh, okay, so he's the the one guy who sort of, like, knows, he knows more than the p other people, like, they've forgotten. And yeah. that is kind of, that is how he's set up. He is, he has not personal memories of Starfleet, but he has, like, institutional memories of Starfleet from from stories that were told mm. by his parents, which is mm. kind of great. Like, I love that. I love that it was, like, handed down as legend or something. It feels a bit like uh, Moffat-era Doctor Who with the canon that we know becoming a story that people mm -hmm. listen to and that changes their lives. And I, I love that. And I love Aditya Sahil as Amy Pond. And... <laughs> 
And then he was just the bureaucrat who waited. (laughs) Oh my goodness, the bureaucrat who waited. That's so precious. And he, I don't, you know, if you didn't cry during that scene, at least oh, I got teary. It's like how can you, how can you see like that and not Mm. feel the hope, and especially. Here in 2020, in October 2020, I know. let me tell you how much I needed to feel that hope. There was a comment, I think it was on spacefungusparty.dreamwidth.org, uh, another place where I hang out to talk about discovery. Uh, someone remarked that it, in an era where public servants and public service is really denigrated and treated as not trustworthy, mm. it means a lot to see this low-key, steady work yes it's it's, it's a kind of heroism that is overlooked in terms of uh you know the first episode of discovery opens with essential maintaining the federation's communications infrastructure and then there's the war and the infra the moral infrastructure of the federation is weakened and this feels like it's going back to that beginning and rebuilding the moral and physical infrastructure of the Federation. And yeah. So I have a lot of feelings about infrastructure <laughs> and systems. So this is where I'm, go- I'm going to talk about uh, the, the stuff that I was, <laughs> that I waited on. Oh, All yes. Right. So you, you know, anyone who listens to our podcast knows that I, my main like annoyance with mm. Star Trek Discovery is that they, they're constantly sort of like saying we're Starfleet and Starfleet is good and we're the good guys and we have to be right and we have to maintain something, but they never really explain what that something is. They never explain what Starfleet is. They just say we're Starfleet and therefore we're the good guys, you know, and you just have to trust it. And I am super not good at you just have to trust it kind of things. Like, no, 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 it's just not my thing. It's just not how I engage. And so of course, I know what Star Trek fans who are like in the writer's room now Mm. think Starfleet is, or like I know what people in Starfleet in the next generation or in Voyager think what's, you know, think of Starfleet and what they, how they would define Starfleet. But that doesn't mean that I know what Starfleet is in the context of the episodes that I'm watching in Star Trek Discovery. Right. I want them to investigate that. I want them to interrogate that. I want them to pull it apart and actually say what they mean by all of that instead of just waving the Federation flag and saying, mm. That's, mm. That's, all you, that's all you need to know. They're the Klingons and we're Starfleet. The end. Right. And despite the literal flag, wa- flag waving at the end of the premiere, it feels like this season is going to explicate what they mean. Finally, right. and, and that's a big, complicated idea, and I'm quite happy that it's not just wrapped up in a single episode. But yeah, it, it's it's good to see that they're finally belatedly articulating that. Right, and so so like I, you know, being me, I'm like now I have to go back to the beginning and think about it and be like, okay, maybe they were annoying me on purpose so that they could get to this point. And then it's like, that's ridiculous. They, they wouldn't, you know, that's too 
that's too much planning <laughs> for, for what we've gotten so far. But at the same time, it's sort of like it was originally announced as an anthology series. Mm. And so it's like maybe it's not completely crazy to think that they were trying to, you know, in the first season, the first season is about our universe or prime universe, I guess, prime universe versus mirror universe, right? And like what those differences are and how identities change and all, yeah. like our universe in at its at its lowest, right? And the mirror universe at at its height, right? Yeah. So it's like that was what they were interrogating in in the first season. And then in the second season, it was like, you know Spock and you know Pike and you know what the Enterprise is and you know what you what we've told you about these people and these characters and now we're going to pick that apart and we're going to say you know what's you know look there's an ocean on Vulcan like something as small <laughs> as that is interrogating your expectations and so now we're getting to we've gone so far that the Federation is gone and has to be rebuilt again it's like we've gone back to the beginning to like the Enterprise era you're right and I got super excited when I realized that because I was like, this is what Enterprise was supposed to be about. Yeah. Before it got off, you know, off track. And so I got so happy. <laughs> and, I, and now I'm like, my hopes are so high that I'm going to get like this uh, deep interrogation of why the Federation matters and why Starfleet are good and I'm like, <laughs> what all of that stuff means instead of just the cookie cutter you know, Star Trek convention version that we've mm. been getting. <laughs> my my feeling is that you're definitely reading too much into it because we have changed <laughs> sh showrunners way too many times to pull this off. But I do think that on some level, um, intentionally or otherwise, you're quite right. And I kind of hope that, like, I said this was a crack theory that Archer caused the burn, but I'm kind of into the idea of Discovery coming along 20 years later and just wrapping up that stupid subplot from Enterprise that was imposed by the network and no one really mm -hmm. wanted to do and it never really got finished. And, you know, what the hell? What the hell? We know that <laughs> the burn came uh, roughly around the time of the Temporal Cold War, which mm -hmm. Book describes as the Temporal Wars and saw the end of all time travel technology. So, right. you know, get Scott Bakula in. <laughs> oh my gosh, can you imagine? Uh, People would, would fall over. <laughs> it would be so exciting. Like, I would you, cry. I know you would cry. <laughs> I, I came up with this theory that Archer caused the burn initially because I knew you and your love for the trash captain would find it entertaining. But yes. then I was like, this is pure fan wank on the level that I generally don't enjoy. But what if Archer caused the burn? <laughs> oh my gosh, it would be so amazing. And I love the idea of like wrapping up the parts of Enterprise that didn't get wrapped up. Mm. Like that's another it's it's one of those things where you can almost say that like all of Star Trek after TOS is wrapping up what didn't get wrapped up in TOS, mm. you know? Like we had ideas and we wanted to do these things and so now this is like the explosion of them mm. and then you get to enterprise and it, it was definitely like it was canceled it yeah wasn't, it wasn't like we're think you know 
it was just we're not going to give you those three years that everybody other series got and and it was a horrible ending it ended like it was awful The, the ending was awful on every level and there was a lot that just didn't ever come to fruition there were there were plans and there were plots. Yeah, yeah. Like, like making Shran a regular in season five. And I, I, I just, one, I've become quite fond of Enterprise. And two, I like narrative parallels. And so I quite like the idea that the man who created the Federation also destroyed it. Yes, exactly. It would be so it would be so good. Mm. And you know, I blame everything on Archer. So I'm like, yes. Yes, yes. 100%. I'm amazed. And I know you've been saying that, um, but I didn't, I thought it was, as you say, a joke for me personally. (laughs) It was like, we, you know, because I love Archer so much that that it would be his fault. And and I blame everything that's wrong with Starfleet and the Federation on him. So, but that, no, thinking about it and having you actually go through it all and, and again, having this like, flash about enterprise i'm like oh my goodness i really want it to be archer i know i'm more i i don't want it to be michael no or something related to discovery like i really 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 do not no that's what i'm scared of like that's my fear my fear is that whatever happened with the red angel and all this nonsense and like whatever like i really i would be fine and excited if we never saw that suit again <laughs> that would be cool i completely agree <laughs> we she yeeted it into space right so yeah, yeah. season two is its own thing and we, is uh, if we can just pretend it never happened and how did discovery get into the 32nd century mm, no idea just one of those yeah. things good though it happened mm. <laughs> so but so i'm just like i really i don't I I will accept that that Michael being Michael is like okay I have to fix this like I get that that's her character her character is mm. oh no this is broken and I'm going to fix it that's something she does but I just I'm terrified that it's going to be somehow related to their own actions yeah I I, I if it, if I can't have Archer to blame for the burn. I just want it to be a, a freak natural disaster and, and there's no fixing it and all you can do is pick up the pieces and try to make a better world out of what is left. And that to me is a very a very optimistic take on 2020. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. it's someone's fault and we can fix it is so simplistic. And, and I mean, right, yeah. Yeah, like... yeah. I don't want to get into COVID stuff, but because we had a second wave in my state, there have been these, uh, you know, investigations and every single day there's a press conference and it seems like the media want to find an individual to blame for a systemic problem. And mm-hmm. it's it feels the same with the burn. It doesn't need to be an individual or a race of bad guys oh, or whatever. Gosh. Sometimes terrible things happen. Even in yeah. a utopia, or, or even you know, not you know, not to be all allegory, but in whatever 
50 years we're gonna be out of oil so mm. it's not like crazy to think that if you mine everything too hard it goes away or something you know something happens yeah like that that it, it can just like okay let's use salmon <laughs> i love salmon, salmon all right yeah salmon is like a great fish right and and it's a it's healthy and there was like this whole push to eat more fish and all that sort of stuff but now they're like being harvested and farmed out of existence and like, yeah, there aren't really... enough salmon in the world <laughs> because everyone ate them and they and they, it's hard for a salmon to reproduce <laughs> like, yeah so guys so... i'm sorry it was me who ate all the salmon <laughs> well no i'm it's again it's not one individual person <laughs> like me no, deciding no. to never eat salmon again is not going to save the salmon population no it has to be a, a concerted effort and so you know me saying i'm not going to drive my car is also not going to solve mm. that problem it has to be everyone you know, making decisions and coming up with alternatives and, you know, making it so that we can live in the world without destroying it. And I can see, you know, I can see someone being like, how can we put this kind of stuff into our Star Trek story? Because, I mean, it's clearly about nature and, you know, the, he, he's, he's devoted to saving endangered species and, and stuff. I don't want to get all stupid, but dilithium is also an endangered species now, and maybe it was a mistake for the entire galaxy to be dependent on one magic crystal exactly. for nearly a thousand years. Exactly. They got lazy. They right. said, we'll always have enough dilithium, so we don't have to come up with other ways. You know, there's word drive. Hey, guess what? Oops. <laughs> Discovery has another way already so it's like oh and you know book this... book refers to like quantum slipstream and we have to assume that the borg transwarp corridors are maybe still out there like there are other options but obviously dilithium was the most accessible and probably it's... the safest so anyway i i want it to be either archer because that's great <laughs> or nature <laughs> you know something that that just is and maybe again maybe it's because they were too dependent but not like not so, right not some evil race not secretly the orions not the vulcans someone said it was the vulcans oh i've been <laughs> seeing the romulans being blamed and i'm like oh, racist and yeah so i don't like i just i don't want any of that I really want it to be about this is a bad thing that happened to everyone, mm. also the Romulans, and, well, and the thing how is, can we work together? I'm embarrassed that I know this, but in the 24th century, the Romulans were, were powering their warp drives with tiny little black holes. But who's to say they didn't decide that was a really stupid idea because who yeah, wants the, to keep a tame the, black hole it? in their Is ship? it the red matter, that stuff? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so the Romulans are fine. Everybody's after them for their alternate technology. Yeah, yeah. The Romulans are like, I don't know what the problem is. We switched over to electric cars years ago. Uh, so, 
Uh, so I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't care about the burn. We've now talked about the burn for like 20 minutes, but I don't <laughs> care about the burn. And I hate that it exists as a, as like a, like, I, I'm just not into the mystery boxes anymore. No. And so I, like, whatever. But I understand that they needed a way to get rid of the Federation or to break the Federation down to its tiniest composite parts. So mm. I, I like the effects the of the burn. Right. I'm exactly. just not interested in the event itself. I would be more interested in a series about learning to have the Federation or the kind of lawful utopian society that they mm. want to have at status quo than I am in figuring out how to find all the dilithium and get everything back to normal again. Yeah, if there's some kind of find the dilithium plot, that's very video gamey. Whereas Discovery has a lot of dilithium and Poe's technology for recrystallizing it, and that gives them a resource that they can trade. I'm into that. Like, I think it's cool to have a version of Star Trek where there is a scarcity issue. That's Voyager. Another version of Star okay. Trek. <laughs> I mean, everyone's been saying that this, that, that this is the new Voyager because they're lost I, and, and far, far away from home. I completely agree, but I just also had the best worst thought of my life. <laughs> What's that? Is book sexy Neelix? Ew! Like, he, he's kind of... Sexy and Neelix should not be in the same... Just putting that out there. I've seen his feet. Yeah, I, I'm not actually sexy. having a flashback to his feet right now. Uh, moving on. Uh, let's talk about episode two. Okay. I was really enjoying episode two. I was having so much fun. And then the thought passed through my head. Someone out there is going to say this is a good episode because it proves the show doesn't need Burnham. And then I got mad. But I was ha like getting mad at a person who probably only exists in my head. So I'm not speaking to that person. And I really loved episode two. And I loved how the crew came together to solve problems Star Trek style. Except mm -hmm. for Jojo, who is a horrible goose announcing that she's going to cause problems on purpose. <laughs> I love her so much. She's so, so great. She's so, terrible. So, so much. But she's terrible in all the best ways. And just, I would, I mean, she decides to just conquer this place is a great storyline. I'm ready for it. Go for it, yeah. show. I'm on your side. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not on her side. I'm just going to watch with interest from a safe distance. I mean, I don't actually expect her to become the conquering hero of wherever, whatever we want it, the future, the future. But so I think she's going to try and yeah. realize she's not that person anymore. Which is a, which is a good storyline for her because yeah. people are very, oh, she can't possibly be redeemed because of all of the horrible things that she's done. But if all the she, people like, she's eaten makes the choice to not do those things again it proves mm. that she's changed and i do that think we has... need that because we haven't really seen much change in her aside from her love for michael so she needs to start taking that and applying it to a wider 
universe. I'm not saying she's going to become a great person or anything, just less of a despotic person eater. (laughs) Just don't eat any more people. I loved that from moment one, she was clearly just like, I just need to get Michael back into Mm. this ship because I don't care about any of you people. I only care about Michael, so we have to go find her. Yes. Because I am not going to be happy here if I have to put up with all of you instead of her. She gave that vibe, but I don't fully believe her because she's also having an interesting conversation with Nan. Welcome to the main credits, Rachel mm-hmm. Ancheril. And <laughs> she's flirting outrageously with Linus. <laughs> and so she may think she has no place here, but I, I don't think that's necessarily true and it was actually really fun to see her interacting with people outside of michael and saru like i want to see more with other people i I love how she rattles tilly Mm. and it really comes across to me as like yes she's trying to be superior but it's also because tilly reacts to her like she can push all of tilly's buttons she Mm. knows how Yes, yes. And that's what makes it fun, I guess, is what I'm saying. She's the type of person who's like, I'm not going to do something that's not also fun for me. She's basically a playground bully when it comes to Tilly. Absolutely. And right, so I'm not saying that Giorgio is a good person. God, no. She's doing... I'm just saying, I think that she can come to a, a place where... Well, she can work with these people and not, and like, mm. she can find her place here. If she, if she allows it to happen, and I'm not sure she will, and like, I'm sort of a little bit sad that Michael's already back because I would like more without that crutch of like, yeah. this is the one person that I care about and this is the one person that cares about me. That's but. true. But I also <laughs> think that Michael is out of sync with them because she has an extra year on them now. And hopefully she's kind of used that year to work on herself. And yeah, yeah. You know, she has this amazing insight under the influence of the truth powder that that she she gives too much. And she is, I, I wouldn't call it reflexively supportive myself, but fine, Michael, describe it how you will. And that (laughs) she needs to take on less personal responsibility. I don't Mm. think that she's ever going to be able to do that. Like, Mm. have you met her? (laughs) And she was raised by Sarek. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I think think she's in a position now where she is maybe... Where all of her relationships are maybe less fraught because she is more secure in herself. Hmm. The, the the preview has like uh, Tilly says something like I I I knew we were gonna see you again and I'm like Tilly you last saw her yesterday yeah it's been a day Tilly <laughs> like Michael could say that and it would make sense but it doesn't make sense for you but okay uh, I'm I understand that you're like she's your bestie right Tilly is that friend who will spend a whole day with you and then you'll keep te- texting after you've both gone home. It's just really funny. I know. You mentioned Nan and her being a series regular, which makes me very excited because I really, like, she was a standout. She was, like, 
I'm glad that she was the Pike crew that we kept. Yes. <laughs> of the Pike crew. And I really loved that this episode built on, like, you know how she was the, the one who figured out that there was something wrong with Arium? Yeah, yeah. And she was, you know, in sickbay watching Detmer. And I was like, oh, I see you. You're, you're using your powers of observation. And mm. she also, like, she, she was with Giorgio when she attacked Leland because of the same kind of thing, where she's like, I know where you people are. I know what's, what's going on. I'm, you know, I'm, that's, you know, she's a security person, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Like, it makes sense that that's her superpower, but I just really like that they're continuing it. She's that better at security than Worf. And she's only been a security officer since she transferred to Discovery. She was an engineer on Enterprise. So <laughs> I love her. She's so good at her job in a way that isn't flashy. I, I right. guess because she's only just recently become a main character. Uh, do you I want s- to talk about your your Nan Jojo shipping? Yes. <laughs> so again, I, was, I watched this in the virtual thing. And so I got to see... The first episode the day before it premiered, but I got to see this episode the week before it premiered, and I wasn't allowed to talk about it, and I wasn't allowed to, like, you know, make any screen caps or do any art, or, or it was just like, and, you know, I, I appreciate that because I am the type of person who, like, yeah, I don't want to spoil something if people don't want it to be spoiled. Mm. Um, you know, if they say I, I don't mind spoilers, I'm like, okay, let me tell you about everything, but if if they don't want to be spoiled and I don't want to spoil something that the, like the, you know, CBS didn't want to be spoiled. And I respect that because it's their property and it's their, like they had a, a plan for yeah like, rolling it out to everyone, you know, and it's like, this is okay. their story to tell. Right. So I completely respect their choices. Um, and you know, one of their choices was letting me see it. Right. So, Hey, cool. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't let <laughs> um, me see it. <clears throat> well, I, Sorry. It's okay. I think it was Americans only. It was. I checked. So that, that would be why. Um, but, like, all I kept saying, and I, I tweeted this, and I put this in our Discord chat, and I was, like, you know, DMing and texting with people, and all I would say is, now kiss, now kiss, now kiss, because I was obsessed with... Nan and Giorgio, like their entire first walk and talk before mm. Linus shows up, I was just like, they were acting like, you know, they were flirting. They were like doing his little snipey, I, I am better than you kind of like dance. Yeah, yeah. But there was, it was totally flirtatious. And I was like shipping them back in the finale of last season. Right, because it didn't come out of nowhere. You know, that whole, <laughs> would you like to see Leland suffer, yum yum exchange. Right, which exactly. Which was really loathed by a certain type of fan. And I was like, that is flirting? Yeah, that is flirting. So if you don't notice that, then that's your non-shipper goggles. <laughs> but yeah, my shipper goggles were all over that. And there was all over this entire episode mm. uh, and so I was so excited when I was finally able it was the day up and I was like everybody <laughs> and it was also like it was so annoying and wonderful because in the discord people brought up Nan and were like 
uh, you know, Nan and, and Jojo, remember that? <laughs> and like discussing <laughs> how they were, they were like, we're going to ship that, right? And I was just like, ah! <laughs> We all know you were the first. But I really I really like the relationship because I feel like I was trying to ship Jojo with Jet, but I feel like Jet has lost her wife and she's got a lot behind her and I love her and I don't want Jojo to hurt her. Whereas I don't think Nan is as vulnerable as Jojo to, to Jojo's mind games because Nan knows who she is and what she wants and non pays attention that's what i'm saying it's her yeah 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 so you know they can they can have some fun uh no strings attached except in a consensual way sex and <laughs> i will be very happy for both of them the other couple that i wanted to kiss was detmer and Owosukun. of course who, yeah, also, everyone, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that they should, clearly should be a couple from the beginning, but in that first scene, when they, they're always, like, having this sort of, like, back and forth where they don't have to explain everything to each other, they just can do it. Yeah. And then after they successfully landed and everything's crazy and everyone like starts applauding because she she did it like hey hey pilot you did your job and and amazingly and she absolutely deserves all of that acclaim and they were all excited and happy and and then oh noticed that she was like a little bit off yeah and like you know ran up and was like Kayla are you okay and was like in this you know invading her personal space kind of thing and Saru was like uh you're you know they she said she you have to go to sickbay and she's and she's like no, no I'm fine and Saru's like your comrade is correct you need to go to sickbay and I was like comrade is a fun name for girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> you know just gals who are comrades I was just like yeah your comrade totally knows yeah, I really liked that scene too, and I'm very curious to know what's up with Detmer. Uh, I really hope that it's just PTSD because of an injury next to her implant, mm. because like everyone's like, oh, it's control, and I, I just I, no. Uh, no, I no, don't want no it to be more control. of control. I don't want it to be the Borg. Like everyone's like, oh, it's definitely. And it's like, no, it is not actually. It's not the Borg. <laughs> you are wrong. Like, I just refuse. If I say it long enough and, and loud enough, it just won't happen. I completely endorse control. this strategy. <laughs> the end. And also, she's not going to die. Those are the things that everyone is talking about that I just flat out refuse. I refuse alongside you. So that's it. It's forbidden. You know how much control we have over these things. <laughs> that's right. We're control. Hmm. Not sure I want that responsibility now that I've <laughs> put it out there. Can I just say, and this is very much bound up in our own personal obsession, but <laughs> it hurt to see Kat in the previously, and the fact that we didn't need to see her death in the previously just mm -hmm. highlights how pointless it was. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm sure there are people that watched the previously and did not remember who she was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's a, a supporting, recurring character. But 
But the those fact people that they, are also not paying attention. The fact that they put that right, that they they put her in, but didn't, as you say, didn't put the the death. So it's like that was unnecessary. That didn't need to happen. It was only it was only a fake gonna make you care moment mm. that again <laughs> had the opposite effect on me. I do not care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. You tried, I guess. They, Maybe. I don't think they did. I think it was the easiest response. You know, oh, people people aren't going to care enough. Okay, let's kill somebody off. And I do think that the original plan was to kill Jet, and I'm very glad that they didn't. And as I've said, if I have to make a choice, I guess I would choose Cat over Jet because this show has killed enough queer people already. But Hugh got to come back, so I'm just, you know. <laughs> Uh, what if no one died? What if no one died? Exactly. I mean, that's my answer to everything. What if? No Having one died? said that, you know, I, I, I would not have wanted Cat to live and go with Discovery into the future because I feel like a lot of the tensions of this story, you know, the power struggle between Saru and Jojo, and Discovery being alone and with minimal support in this strange universe without a Federation. Mm-hmm. The presence of an admiral would really undercut a lot of that. But she was on the Enterprise, so that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I know, I know. She but like, if if someone had someone on Discovery had beamed her out at the last minute, you know, I, yeah. I've given this a lot of thought. We all know that Lorel beamed her out at the last minute. <laughs> yes, we've yes. all discussed this, and that's why she's going to be in, in, in- Strange New Worlds, including Mary Chifo. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she should know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going like back to the actual show that's happening <laughs> on our screens and not in my head. Uh, it was very fun the the repartee between Stamets and Jet and Kolba. Yes, like queer people hanging out, or not not just hanging out. They're saving the ship, but queer people interacting in a non. It's not that it's not fraught. It's that fraughtness is not about their sexuality. I love. Having- Go ahead. Oh, I just, I feel like the, the Kolber-Stamets thing has gone back to status quo way too quickly. And... Well, I... <laughs> that's how good Kat is a can- as a counsellor. It only took one five-minute session <laughs> to fix them all. Truly, she should have stayed in that career. Uh, <laughs> what I was actually going to say was that I hope at some stage when matters are a little less urgent that Hugh and... Paul have a talk you know I kind of agree because I I like consequences and I do think it's too pat and too much but I also like really don't want to see them fighting and and like drama and like I don't no no <laughs> I don't want that either so I don't want them to fight I feel like they're on the same page now but they still need to have a conversation and I feel like just going back to a happy relationship with no discussion whatsoever feels like it's sort of pandering to the fans who don't want any conflict whatsoever. And I understand that urge, sort of, but it's dishonest and it's unfair to Hugh. I want Hugh to interact with people who are not Samus. Yes! That's what I want. I want more Hugh and other people. Yeah, I feel like I still Hugh do and... not know who he is at all. 
I, I would like to see Hugh, Hugh interact with Nan because, as you're saying, she has a really powerful bullshit radar, mm. and I, I just think she she's an outsider. She didn't know him at all before he came back to life. You know, mm. that's probably an a, a friend that he needs. Yeah, somebody who doesn't have any expectations. And exactly. Like, Jet, he, he did have that conversation with Jet with like the whole let's be queer together yeah, <laughs> conversation. yeah but i just like i think that they they can be they could be cool buddies but i i just i want you to have more friends and more interaction and more screen time that isn't related to stamets agreed that's all, that's all i want though i i do very much like to see that we got to like that we got to see him doing the doctor stuff yes this this week he's a good doctor i really don't think he should be allowed to treat paul but you know dr pollard was busy or whatever (laughs) what i also what i loved about the jet and stamets stuff was that she was totally like out stamitsing him and it was great it was like i'm going to be to you exactly what you are to everyone else and and, and just like level up on you like you you cannot even come into my my radius <laughs> of amazing it was just really good I, I enjoyed that she's just funny she's funny and we needed that and uh you know when she said the I don't remember his name either but when that guy said I'm Jake Jane I don't know and she's like, I've already Jean. forgotten that. Like Gene Roddenberry. Oh, Gene, like Gene Roddenberry. That Which, I'm sorry, but naming a completely insignificant side character after the guy who created your franchise is kind of. kind of a baller move. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Also, like I don't think I've ever said the words baller move again before, and I don't, I'm not going to say them again. All right, it's fair. Mm. But yeah, and if anyone out there wants to come up with a discovery secretly hates Gene Roddenberry and everything he stands for <laughs> theory, oh my goodness, and like watch mm. through all the episodes and write down stuff. I mean, kind of like those horrible people do that all the time, but maybe they're not actually paying attention to. Right, they're only playing. They're only they're making things up. They're not. They're not actually watching the show. Right. <laughs> Uh, so we're sort of coming to an end, but there's a note here, Space Without the Federation is lawless. Mm-hmm. And then that, that was you, and then I've added, the Discovery crew are in a Western and they don't know it. Yes. And, and I was very proud of that realisation because, one, I'm very tired from the move, and for a lot of <laughs> yesterday my brain was just like, Space Show makes me happy. But... <laughs> I enjoy stories where people don't know what genre they're in. And this is my favourite space western that doesn't co-star Baby Yoda. <laughs> okay. I like that. That's fair. Uh, what? So, Cal. Mm. The, the nice guy. Mm. Um, he sort of had... He also seemed to have heard about Starfleet yes. from, you know, as a as a bedtime story kind of thing. So he had that in common with Sahil and, and there was definitely like a parallel between Michael interacting and, and them interacting with him. 
And I just like, it, it remind you know when I, obviously it's a western like there were spurs <laughs> it was a western it wasn't subtle what it reminded me of is like like uh, um tombstone or anything mm. dealing with Wyatt Earp where it's like everything is bad and then the marshals show up yes <laughs> yes they, and they take over the town and make it better and so that I was like oh so they're the marshals <laughs> okay so like Saru is Wyatt Earp Yes, and, and it was, cool. you know, the Western is sort of a genre that's really steeped in colonialism and racism and there's a lot of ugliness behind its tropes. And telling this story, it, it's a Western set in a post-apocalyptic, you know, a sort of post-apocalyptic world and it, it, it sort of cuts out a lot of those problems. Right, because just by moving it out of our actual Old West. yeah. I mean, even just like the whole concept of Western civilization versus Eastern civilization and how we still to this day look down on on Eastern civilizations as like lesser when it's completely Mm. ridiculous because they were around just as long and they built amazing things. And it's like, yeah, no. (laughs) So, so I, but I, I agree that it's a really good like moving forward it's like firefly wishes <laughs> i i think we'll find that the federation or the ex-federation is not entirely lawless but there are pockets it's, yeah you, you, you notice that there was a question mark at, at the end of mm, my mm. sentence because it's sort of like it's an interesting concept like a meta concept of what are you what are they saying if if this federation was the only thing they keeping people from infighting and 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 it's just like it, you know that is sort of like the marshals and the and the mm. government i guess you know when the united states moved out into the frontier now now you're a part of our imperial society mm. <laughs> and, but it, it's also you know the soviet union breaks up and suddenly there's a lot of ethnic conflict and religious conflict because that overarching organization was sort of keeping people together it's like the breakup of yugoslavia so it makes sense that there would be pockets where you know the orions and the andorians stick together and don't trust other people and stuff like that but i'm also sure that there are relatively privileged and stable absolutely (laughs) probably vulcan (laughs) but I, so it's just it's like it's interesting it's interesting as a concept again going back to that that they wanted to find the federation and define starfleet and it's like mm. so starfleet are space cops <laughs> interesting like well, i, I think... agree but i also don't think that that's something that people would like there's still there's still this whole like is is starfleet a military organization mm. fight and like it isn't but it also is and so People get really, really upset when you say that it's a military organization. And it's like, okay, it's not. It's an exploratory organization. However, it is set up to mimic a military organization. And you can't, like, you can't use the, the trappings of it mm. without also putting some of the order on it. Like, there are rules, right? There are rules right. that you have to follow. And 
whatever, the prime directive, general order number one, right? You get in trouble for breaking that. So that means that, that there is this structure. There is a, a military structure that exists. Right. And Starfleet is existing within that, even if mm. they are not, like, even if it's not their mission statement. Right. And it's not just the structure, it's the infrastructure. You know, Starfleet maintains the subspace relays mm -hmm. that enable people to communicate across great distances and know what's happening at the other side of on the other side of the quadrant. Right. Now and our poor little you guy lose that. Is, you're all Yeah, yeah. You alone, lose that. You're isolated. Space. Right. So so yeah, it, it's I'm again I'm not like anti Starfleet. <laughs> no mostly. <laughs> I love Starfleet. I just... I just don't think it's perfect. Right, exactly. And maybe this season is an opportunity to make Starfleet better. And, you know, uh, rebuild the Federation without the problems caused by Jonathan Archer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Michael Honestly, Burnham is the new Jonathan Archer. That's what I was about to say. You know. Yep. And and you know, black women get things done. They do. And, and no one ever listens get, to them. Maybe she'll even get the credit. We can hope. Because yeah. it is a it is a utopian future. <laughs> so let's Exactly. Let's utopian future. Let's go. On that note, thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at, at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at AntimatterPod and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us and hear our very important opinions about how Cat Cornwell should not be dead. And join us in two weeks when we'll be talking about the next episode of Star Trek Discovery, People of Earth. Woohoo!